With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swing a high deep drive in the right field. That one's stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Featuring Keaton DeRocher. High deep He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Wow! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Got it! 300 strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. Center field, get out. way back in carries, and that ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off, in style! That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes! Fly ball to deep left center field, Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game! Welcome back to episode 155 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today, instead of being joined by either Keaton or Matt, we have a new guest on the show who's going to become a part of your rotation here at Over the Monster. We have Shelly Verstraight. Shelly, welcome to the show. Hey, Jake. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is kind of a, this is really, really big for me. I've been listening to this podcast for a while, so... It's great to be on. That's awesome. Yeah, so just a little bit of background about Shelly. For anybody who hasn't um, heard her on podcasts or seen her work, which I find almost impossible if you listen to this show, um, but Shelly is now at Over the Monster, so she's written a couple articles there. We'll kind of hit on your articles um, towards the end of this, too. You can kind of tell people what she's been working on. Um, she's also at the Dynasty Guru, Pitchers List, Rotographs, and Prospects 365. So she's pretty much everywhere, and she also podcasts with Keaton and I over at the Dynasty Guru, and um, we're very lucky to have added her to our uh, rotation here as podcasters, and she's going to be appearing in her own podcast. So Shelly, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that's set to launch next week. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 super excited about this, you guys. Uh, basically, I'm going to be coming at you, me and my um, kind of a little co-host, uh, Trevor Huth. Uh, we're going to be coming at you and just basically talking about uh, Red Sox prospects. Coming at you about once a week, maybe every two weeks at uh, this time of uh, no baseball is uh, no fun and uh, makes content kind of hard. But uh, yeah, so we'll basically just be talking all about uh, Red Sox prospects. And as soon as the season gets started up, we'll just kind of go week by week and talk about who was doing great, like awesome performances, and then just kind of going deep diving on really interesting uh, Red Sox prospects. That sounds fantastic. Can't wait for that. Uh, we've we've found it difficult to fit the prospect stuff into this show, uh, so we thought it was important enough to give it its own show. And you're in a great hands with uh, Shelly and Trevor there, so we're super excited about that. Um, okay, so let's get to it. Um, Shelly, we have not a lot of baseball to talk about, so we'll give a rundown of the show. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Sale having a surgery. Um, we've got some listener questions at the end, but the big meat of this show was actually an idea that Shelly came up with, um, and I sort of tweaked a little bit with uh, adding in something else. Um, but what we decided to do was Shelly had created this awesome roto lineup of Red Sox players uh, from 1980 to 2019, because that's the time period where fantasy baseball has pretty much taken off. You know, it was invented at that time. And so instead of me making a lineup with that same time period to compete with her, I decided to make a lineup from the previous 40 years, so 1940 to 1979. And then we are going to compare those two. So we're going to do it like we were playing each other in head-to-head fantasy. Uh, The only difference is instead of standard 5x5, we included OBP because it's a better stat than batting average. And... um, we're going to see how this shaped up, but the, the cool thing is we're going to be able to talk about why we chose guys for specific years, and we had some requirements too, So, um, and unlike on the Dynasty Guru when we did this, I actually paid attention this time, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we couldn't choose more than six players from any era, so for instance, for me, I couldn't choose more than six players from the 70s, which made some of my um, choices really difficult. We also couldn't repeat years. So if I choose um, Ted Williams in 1941, I can't use any other player's year from 1941. Um, And then if I use Ted Williams uh, one time, uh, I cannot use him again, okay? So, and one more tweak slightly. Uh, The DH didn't come into play until 1973, um, so we were going to use that as a utility position for my team. However... Um, I ended up using a DH anyways, uh, somebody from 1978, so um, we ended up kind of matching up on that anyhow. So we're going to talk about those lineups and and compare. All right, let's start it off. Um, Shelly, for catcher, who did you choose? Um, I went uh, with uh, Jason Veritek um, from 2004. Catcher was it was really really hard uh, for me um, to kind of like really pick an offensive um, type of player, uh, but Jason Veritek in two thousand four um, he had a three ninety OBP which is which is pretty darn good, 
and he had 18 home runs with 10 stolen bases. Um, that that's that's pretty pretty good. Um, I did not uh, when I was putting this together. I just did not realize that Veritek had such a high OBP, uh, especially for that year. Yeah, I mean that was part of a really, if you look at it, a three-year stretch between 03 and 05 when Veritek was absolutely uh, one of the best offensive catchers in the game, you know, to go along with his excellent defense. So what made you choose 04 over 03 in 2005 where he had slightly more robust counting stats? Um, that is, oh, well, uh, I used 2003 for another player that we will be talking about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just um, I just went with 2004. I, it... <laughs> <laughs> I think it actually is a better year than 05 anyways, looking at okay. it across the board. Because, like, 2005, he had slightly more home runs, um, yeah, slightly I bet fewer RBIs. Yeah, it was RBIs. the steals thing, yeah. Yeah, and then he had 10 steals randomly in 2004. So that was a pretty cool addition. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a catcher that runs. I mean, you don't get that too often. But when we talk about best catchers in Red Sox history, we obviously uh, talk about Jason Veritek is in that running, but the other person that we talk about is, I think, kind of unquestionably the best catcher in Red Sox history, and that's Carlton Fisk, um, who played the first part of his career with the Red Sox and then the second half of his career with the White Sox. And I chose Carlton Fisk's 1977 year. In 1977, Fisk had his best uh, year with the Red Sox. He had 26 home runs, 106 runs, 102 RBIs, 7 steals, to go along with a 402 OBP. He just had a monster year behind the plate. And according to Fangraphs, he also put up a uh, 7.6 war season, which would go on to be the best of his Hall of Fame career. So, yeah, not, not so shabby from Mr. Fisk. Yeah, not so bad. Yeah, that was one of the more obvious choices for me on the list. Um, I could have gone with uh, maybe 73, which was close, but that was kind of by far uh, the best of, of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> Next, um, we are going to talk about first base, and I'll kick this one off. Um, so I was, I almost went with Jimmy Fox here because Jimmy Fox historically one of the best first basemen in baseball history played a huge chunk of time with the red sox i think it was about six years with the red sox um, but most of his time was actually spent with the uh, philadelphia athletics um, but luckily for me mr carl yastrzemski uh, played a significant amount of his career uh, out of left field and in first at first base in 1970 was one of those years where he played uh, more first base than he did left field. So I went with 1970 first base for Carl Yastrzemski. Um, that year he had 125 runs, 40 home runs, uh, 102 RBIs, and he had an OBP of 452. He also sneakily stole 23 bases um, from the first base position, which uh, makes him sort of the modern, the uh, the past day uh, Paul Goldschmidt in his prime. So. Um, I loved being able to include Yaz, and I was petrified that I wasn't going to be able to include Yaz um, <laughs> because a guy named Ted Williams exists um, who also played left field. <laughs> but luckily I was. 
Yeah, yeah. When uh, when we decided to kind of when you decided to do from 1940 to 1979, I was kind of interested to see where you were gonna go because I'm like, there is no way that you could not include Ted Williams. And honestly, I did not realize that Yaz played that much first base. So when I saw your lineup, I was like, what? And uh, yeah, so lucky you. Yeah, that was that was lucky. Um, who'd you go with? Yeah, see, I, I had I had trouble with this one. I when I was putting this together, um, I kind of wanted to go more of known known Red Sox versus maybe a player who only played like a couple years. Um, so for me, um, I went with Mo Vaughn um, in 1996. Um, where he had a 420 OBP um, with 44 home runs, 143 RBI, and 118 runs. Like that, wow. yeah. I this is uh, this is like the best part about doing these types of things is you just find these seasons where you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy was a monster, and you just never realize until you basically put it on paper. Uh, so yeah, that was a legit amazing season. Now, in your estimation, <clears throat> was that Mo Vaughn's best season, or because I know that he had previously won the MVP right in 1995? Yeah. So, was this actually a better statistical season than his 1995? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I totally think so. I mean, the only thing lacking is of the stolen bases he went from 11 stolen bases in 95 to 2 in 96 but he increased the home runs he increased the average increased the obp yeah rbi too yeah wow yeah yeah what a monster year it was crazy yeah the the hit dog he was he was one of the the most underrated red sox players ever I feel like for for people just a little older than us, um, he's the guy. Um, But, like, for a lot of my childhood, I don't remember Mo Vaughn as a Red Sox. You know, I remember him as the Angels player. Yep, same. Yeah, it's weird. And I I think he remembers himself as a Red Sox player, too, because that's kind of where it all went down. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to second base, um, Shelly, who'd you do? Uh, this one was um, one of the ones, uh, one of the players that I just kind of like just penciled in the name and was just going to fill out a year at some point wherever it, wherever it fit in. Uh, this is Petey. This is Pejoria. Um, uh, uh, but I went with his 2009 season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, where he hit uh, 15 home runs, 20 stolen bases. He had a 371 OBP, um, 115 runs, 72 RBI. Um, it might not necessarily be his best statistical season, but that was because I had to kind of tweak the years to kind of fit some other players in. But this was definitely this was PD's position. Yeah, that's a no-doubter right there to yeah. go with PD. And also, mine was a no-doubter, and we'll get to that in a second. I was fascinated by the 2009-year pick, but then I looked, and like this was his second-best run season of all time. A little bit weak in the RBI category, but still contributed 20 steals. Um, great defense across the board. 
Um, I think from like 08 to, I don't know, let's call it 2013, uh, you couldn't really go wrong with a PD year except for the injury shortened 2010. Yeah, pretty much. Um, he is essentially the set it and forget it guy, um, the glue guy, just everything. No doubt. Um, for me, I went with um, another Red Sox Hall of Famer. Um, so far, uh, all three of the players that I've chosen have their numbers retired at Fenway, which is fun. Um, but I went with Bobby Doerr, or Bobby Doerr, um, who was, or is, it's debatable. I think this is a legit debate amongst Red Sox fans, who's the best second baseman of all time. Statistically speaking, um, Doerr has him in war, um, in by most uh, measurements of war, but it's just ever so slightly, and I think that most people would agree that Pedroia was slightly the better defender, um, also played in a more competitive era. But I went with the 1950 season from Doerr, where he had 27 home runs, 120 RBIs, uh, 103 runs, just three steals. Speed was not a big part of his game, uh, but he did have a 367 OBP. Um, he was just steady Eddie. He was part of the Red Sox lineup for uh, ever. I mean, he was on the team from 1937 to 1951, so this was one of his later years, but arguably his best, uh, one of his best statistical years. Um, wasn't an elite defender by this point, but who is at that age? And um, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty cool year to, to find. Who do you who do you have between those two as the best? <laughs> yeah, see, this is I mean it's really hard because I mean looking at Door, I mean just looking at numbers, I would have to go him. But in my heart, it's Petey because I mean he's always been there, and I just I just don't have the connection with Door. Yeah, no, totally. I I totally get that, and I also lean um, Petey because of that. An interesting thing about these two guys is that Pedroia started at age 22 and really played, like was on the field because we know what's happened with him the last couple of years until he was 33 years old. And uh, Bobby Doerr um, played from age 19, um, missed a year because of World War II um, and played until his age 33 season as well. So um, wow. Their careers almost mirrored each other exactly, um, Dewar having just a, a little bit more time actually playing. Yeah, So wow. Very close comparisons. Okay, um, for third base, I will kick this one off. Um, I decided that I would go with Rico Petroselli from 1971. Um, this was the first year that Rico really transitioned from being a shortstop uh, to being a third baseman. Um, I have to say, though, this position stunk for the Red Sox <laughs> during this 40-year period. Um, this was pretty much the one that I settled on because it was the best of all these seasons, and Rico was a name I really wanted to include, and I couldn't include him at shortstop um, because of some other seasons that will come up soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, even in this year, Rico was good, but he wasn't spectacular. He had 28 home runs, 89 RBIs, 82 runs <clears throat> with a 354 OBP. So um, Petroselli, to me, is one of those guys that is talked about in Red Sox history 
with a tremendous amount of reverence and um although i'm not sure that he really 100 percent lives up to the legends uh looking at his numbers these days uh yeah i i i would agree um because this honestly this is like the first time that i've uh looked at his uh kind of statistics and uh, yeah i mean he had like a good like three-year run it looks mm-hmm. like um and that's really about it but also when i go back and kind of look at your other options this was essentially it was a no-brainer but uh yeah he um he was good um yeah he was just he was good yeah he was <laughs> he was totally like slightly above average um and when you when you talk to old-time red sox fans about him they talk about him like he repeated his 40 home run campaign like every year because when he was 26 he had that huge year um where he had 40 home runs at the shortstop position but he really only made an all-star game twice and didn't really do too much wow after that so crazy um so who'd you have um for third base um i went with uh euclid um again this this um I, I went with guys who I just felt more as red uh, as a Boston Red Sox. Um, like so, when I was like really watching baseball, Wade Boggs was uh, not a Red Sox, so <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I just kind of overlooked him. Um, maybe that's just my bias, um, but um, I went with Uke. Um in his uh, let's see his 2008 season. Um, he hit uh, 29 home runs. He had a 390 um, OBP, um, 115 RBI, and uh, 91 runs. Um, yeah, I mean, Euclid was just kind of like this guy, um, not necessarily like the lead singer, but kind of like, <laughs> um, kind of like a good bass player. You need a good bass player in a band, mm-hmm. um, and he was just that guy who was just there and steady and just always there. Yeah, um, I was really intrigued by the fact that you went with with Uke here, and I figured it was because of the reason that you said. Um, there were a lot of really interesting seasons that you could have chosen. So by WRC+, the top five seasons that you could have picked from were all Wade Boggs years Yep. Uh, from the 80s. So I was, I was convinced that you were going to go with one of those because they were also just crazy OBP years. Um, but I also thought that there was a slight chance that you were going to Bill Miller or Adrian Beltre it. Yeah, yeah. It was just, uh, believe me, I really wanted to. But it's like when I was putting this together, at least for me, it probably wasn't smart for our little competition here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was like I want to pick guys who I just associate mm-hmm. with Boston. Yeah. Did you give any consideration to 2019 Devers? I did. I really did. Um, <laughs> I really, really, really did. But I'm just like, am I? Am I just having those, like, you know, small sample size kind of things? So I was like, eh, I'll just give it to you. He's just always been there. Yeah, it's uh, you. You had a lot of really nice ones to choose from. In fact, um, before the 1971 season um, that I had uh, by Fangraphs War. Um, the top 11 seasons were all from your era at wow. third base. Yeah, including 
Raphael Devers, Majority Bonds, and then Beltre. So very, uh, very stacked at third base in your era. But I do like the Uke choice. I mean, he's he's Uke. He's the best. He's he's a dude. Yep. Um, all right. Shortstop. Um, who did you go with? This one was very difficult for me. Um, I went with the smart choice and not my heart choice. <laughs> um, I went. Uh, I went with Nomar over Xander, and it, it it pained me to do so because I I, I love Xander Bogart so much. Um, but uh, so I went with Nomar's '98 uh, season, um, where he hit uh, 35 home runs and 12 stolen bases uh, with a 362 um, OBP. Um, 111 runs and 122 RBI. That is a good choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good year. It was Man. so good. Did you think at all about going with the um, 357 year from 99, or was that you couldn't do that because of Pedro? Because of Pedro. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's so many good Nomar years that you could have gone with. I know, I know. How it, much did you think about either... The, so I'm going to ask you about two guys. How much did you think about John Valentin, 95, and 2019 Bogey? I thought a lot about 2019 uh, Bogey. Um, I, 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 love, I love that dude like, like so much. Um, <laughs> but I, just, I was just like, okay, Shelly, be smart, take Nomar. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he was something else. That's a that's a damn good choice right there. Yeah. Um, I went with the weirdest thing that I found. Um, so I've been researching historic Red Sox guys for a while because there's this project that I really want to do that I don't know if I'll ever get to it. And I've talked about it on on here before, um, where I want to make the best historical Red Sox team and and put it all together and like argue for it and everything. And one name that I had never considered being uh, a shortstop possibility was Vern Stevens, um, who I found played a lot of time with the Red Sox. And I used Vern Stevens's 1949 season, um, which was shockingly good. Um, he had 39 home runs, a whopping 159 RBIs, 113 runs, uh, just two stolen bases because my team is slow as hell, and a 391 OBP. Wow. I had no idea this guy was so good. Or, wow. like, really much about him at all. Yeah, I, I've never heard of him, but I will be Googling him as soon as we get off this. Yeah, it, it's freaky um, how many good years he had. He produced, like, uh, about 44 to 45 war, if I remember correctly, across most metrics. Um, it was really kind of shocking that, you know, there could be a dude lurking in there that we weren't really uh, familiar with. And this year he had a 7.5 F4. Wow. And it wasn't a one-off either. I mean, he had... No, he said got a couple of those. Yeah, I mean, lots of lots of good seasons. So. Wow. Cray. Cray, cray. All right. I will kick it off with left field next. Um, this was the position that I was looking forward to most... Because left field in Red Sox history is the position. There might not be, and I've said this before on this podcast, there might not be a single position on any team with a richer history than the Red Sox in left field. Red Sox have had the ridiculous luck of going from Ted Williams 
straight into Yaz, straight into Jim Rice. I mean, it's it's stupid how many good left fielders straight into Manny Ramirez. I mean, the amount of guys, Mike Greenwell has played that position too, had some ridiculous years. Um, left field is crazy, and I actually have it uh, listed. I keep this as a note on my phone because that's me, and I'm kind of <laughs> crazy. But left field has gone like this. Williams, Yaz, Rice, Greenwell, O'Leary, Ramirez, Bay, Crawford, Ross, Gomes, Young, Benintendi. Wow. And that's basically an unbroken line of awesome players. And you don't even think about Greenwell and O'Leary being like really solid players, but they really had a couple great years at left field. So when I got here, I knew that you were going to have an awesome choice, and I was going to have an awesome choice, and I had to pick my vintage of Ted Williams. <laughs> so I went with the 1941 Ted Williams season. Um, this was a really hard choice. There were so many good Ted Williams years. I didn't go with his 1949 year because I wanted to use that weird Vern Stevens season. <laughs> Um, but in 1941, he famously hit 406. Uh, he also had 37 home runs, 120 RBIs, 130 runs, and a whopping 553 OBP. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's it. I mean, and he did all this at age 22. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Uh, like when we were doing this last week uh, for the Dynasty Guru, we were kind of like talking about uh, Barry Bonds and his uh, Fangrass page. Um, I think we have a rival when it comes. It's it's just incredible. And he missed 43, 44, and 45, where he would have been 25, 26, and 20, uh, 24, 25, and 26 to, to the war. That's, wow. And then he missed 1952, almost the entire year. Due to the Korean War. Yeah. It's incredible. Dude has legit four prime years missing from his career, and he did what he did. Yeah, it's... it, Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> I just... There's no words for it. It's just like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Dude was... was. I mean, I know that he's considered by most as a top ten baseball player all time, but, like, I have trouble putting anybody above him. Yeah, I mean, I really can't argue. Um, maybe a Barry Bonds, but Barry Bonds has some um, little asterisks, maybe, on him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ted Williams is, oh, he's so good. Willie Mays is the one that I think of most as probably having the best argument. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Better defender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so left field. Who did you choose? Yeah, I went with I went with Manny because he is yeah, he is so good. Um, so I went with his 2003 um, season where uh, he had a 4.27 OBP with 37 high runs, three stolen bases, um, 104 RBI, and 117 runs. Wow. Man- Manny Manny was so good for so long. It's incredible. So what made you choose that particular season from Manny versus any of the other campaigns that he had? Um that's a good question. Um 
it was probably because I was playing around with years and never got back to it, uh, to mm-hmm. be straight up honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, with any of the Red Sox years, you couldn't really go wrong, I don't, I don't think. No, no, I don't think so either. I think probably his best year would have been uh, 2005, um, statistically. Maybe, yeah, probably 2005 would have been his best statistical season. But, like, yeah, Manny, for the entire time he landed with the Red Sox, he produced... 5.2, 5.3, 5.8, 3.3, 2.9, 2.9 2.9 while carrying a above 150 WRC plus every single season. Um, he was so worth the money that they gave him for that contract. The entire yeah, time. yeah, totally. Um, oh, he was just—he was so good, and that was like really when I was becoming a Red Sox fan. So I just—I just. I just I have many feelings about Manny Ramirez. Yeah, me too. Um, I still really remember Manny super fondly, and I know that the end was ugly with him, but, man, I mean, there were few players um, more fun to watch. And Manny, honestly, for all people dogging his defense, I mean, Manny made some plays. He had some outfield assists from left field, and I know that we want to, like, get on Manny for being lackadaisical and he was (laughs) he deserves it he definitely dogged it a lot of the time but he also had some key throws in big situations yeah yeah he 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 did yeah he he was a bad defender because he wanted to be most of the time (laughs) yeah he he, (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah all right center field this was a a no-brainer um for you well who did you go with um i went with um ellsbury um, this was this was definitely I just I just penciled it in. Um, I, I I briefly looked at Damon, but I was just like, nah, nah. You you, you got to go. Um, you got to go with Ellsbury here. Um, and I went with his uh, 2011 season, where he hit that uh, 32 home runs and the 39 stolen bases um, with the 376 OBP. 105 RBI and 119 runs. So, my goodness. Uh, yeah, where where did that uh, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever know, honestly. I, yeah, it's he had a 9.5 WAR that year according to Fangraphs, which is the best in this 80 year stretch that we covered for the Red Sox. That is the best mark. Yeah, it th- that season was insane. Absolutely insane. Totally. Um, I didn't have anything that could compare to that because <laughs> nothing can. Um, but I went with a pretty damn good season, an 8.6 war season from Fred Lynn in 1979, where Fred Lynn had 39 home runs. Uh, so he edged out Ellsbury there, had 116 runs, 120 RBIs, um, only two stolen bases again because I have the slowest team in history. Um, <laughs> But he did have a 174 uh, WRC plus with a 423 OBP. So comparing his season to Ellsbury's head-to-head, he was a slightly better offensive player um, with far worse defense and uh, no stolen base uh, threat at all. Base running-wise, Ellsbury absolutely killed him um, in that head-to-head category. Yeah, 
uh, Fred Lynn Fred Lynn's a good is a really really good player but uh, yeah Ellsbury during that time was just amazing yeah I mean for a career you definitely like Fred Lynn's career more and when you think yeah. about Red Sox center fielders you think about Fred Lynn almost first before you think of anybody else um, but yeah I agree there's no center fielder in Red Sox history other than Tris Speaker um, from way, way, way back um, that you can even really compare to what Ellsbury did. Yeah. Have and you it, ever looked at Tris's page? Uh, I have not, no. It's it's freaky. Oh. It is, he is like one of the, um, one of the craziest players of all time. So he he split a lot of time uh, between the Red Sox for the first half of his career and the Indians for the second half. He didn't really hit for power, um, but like, for instance, in 1912, he had 10 home runs, 136 uh, runs, 90 RBI, 52 steals, and slash 383, 467, 567. Good lord. Yeah, he put up a 10.6 war that year. Jeez. So, yeah, in total for his career, Tris Speaker was a 130.6 war player. Wow. According to Fangraphs. Yeah. So, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Also, wow. his name was Tristram. Yeah, I just pulled that up on Fangraphs. I was like, did <laughs> I just like pick like some random person? And, and I'm like, uh, no, his name is Tristram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. Right fielders. Um, I'm going to let you talk about right field because you have the best. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have the best. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I went with Mookie Betts, his 2018 season. It was, it was glorious. Um, he had a 438 OBP, 32 home runs. 30 stolen bases, um, 80 RBI, and 129 runs. Um, and he won the MVP that year. Yeah, we won the World Series that year. It, it was a great, great time. Um, Mookie Betts is just, uh, he's just amazing. And I'm really sad that uh, we traded him. I, I mean, I understand kind of sort of why. I get it, I get it, but it still makes me sad. Um, but man, that 2018 season was just absolutely, absolutely insane. Yeah, it was. Um, and when I first, like years ago, made my first draft of best Red Sox players of all time at each position, um, it was before the Mookie MVP year, and I still had Dwight Evans, Dewey, as my top right fielder in Red Sox history. And to me, what Mookie did in his six years here uh, cements him as the, the best right fielder uh, in Red Sox history, and that's the best year from the best right fielder. And over this 80-year span, um, he had a 10.4 war uh, in that year, um, and he is the top three seasons uh, in right field over that period of time. So, I mean, we're going to miss the guy. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that. Um, historically amazing. I went with a rando who... Um, Fangraphs helped me find because Dwight Evans really wasn't a thing in my time period. Um, so I couldn't really go with a good Dewey season because he wasn't quite himself yet. Um, so I went with uh, a guy by the name of Jackie Jensen, 
who played significant time with the Red Sox, and I went with his 1959 season. Um, he actually played with the, the Sox between 54 and 61, um, and he had some really fantastic years. He was definitely above average player. He had 32.5 career war, um, but I went with his 59 season where he had 28 home runs, 101 runs, 112 RBI, and 20 stolen bases while slashing 277, 372, 492. Um, really good player. Um, not like a tremendous defender, um, not a all-star caliber guy every year, but really, really solid. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's put up, um, what, 20-plus home runs for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven seasons in a row. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I've never heard of uh, Mr. Jensen here. But, uh, yeah, he's a really, really good player. Isn't that the best part of doing this? Yes. Like, figuring out who the hell Jackie Jensen and Vern Stevens are? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> this is... This is Oh, I just love doing these. These are so great. Yeah, I think um, this is going to motivate me to do one for your era, too, and for the first 40 years, essentially, of Red Sox yeah. uh, being in existence. So we're, we're going to have to... I, I was floating the idea to Keaton, and he's game for this, but I think we should do a an era's article that we all three co-write. Yeah. Which would be fun. Yes. Real fun. Okay, uh, DH, I will kick it off first so I can cede the floor to your superior choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a damn good one myself. Um, I went with Jim Rice in 1978. Uh, Jim Rice is, you know, another retired number for the Red Sox, uh, Hall of Famer. Um, in his 1978 season, like I said at the beginning of the show, DH had been around for about five years at this point, and this was basically Jim Rice's best statistical year of his career. He had 46 home runs, 139 RBI, 7 stolen bases, 121 runs, um, OBP of 370. was just an absolute monster the entire season. He did play a bunch of time in left field as well because there weren't really full-time DHs back then, um, or not many of them. But Jim Rice uh, was not a very good fielder, and... Uh, played most of his or a lot of his time at dh so i went with him yeah um he's just just another just oh there this there's just been a lot of good hitters for the red sox uh maybe not for the stolen base department but it's just a lot of just smashers and he's just he's just good for sure yep okay who'd you go with um, <laughs> um, outside of Pedro, when you think of the Red Sox for this time period, who do you think of? I would even say I think of David Ortiz more than I think of Pedro for this time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, um, I can't really argue with that. Uh, yeah, so I went with, uh, David Ortiz, um, and I went with his 2007 campaign, um, where he had 35 home runs. Um, miraculously, he stole three bases, which I kind of thought was interesting. Um, he had uh, a 445 um, OBP, 117 RBI, and 116 runs. Um, 
Yeah, uh, David Ortiz. Um, God bless that man. I I enjoyed him. I, I enjoyed watching him, and it was just so incredible to see him just come uh, where he, they signed him after the Twins released him, and he uh, just went off. Um, and he is he's just incredible. Like there is just there is no words to describe David Ortiz. He's just. He's the goat. He he really is. He's just yeah yeah. I mean, he means more, in my opinion, to Red Sox history than any player. And I know that you know you can argue that Ted Williams is the best player of all time. Pedro is the best pitcher of all time. Um, you know, Tris Speaker um, has accumulated you know just crazy stats. But to me, it's David Ortiz breaking the curse, being the biggest reason why the Red Sox have. Uh, had the success that they've had over this time period. He's by far the most important Red Sox of all time. Yeah, I mean, he's just had, like, so many clutch moments in the playoffs that just just stamps his just, I am the best Red Sox player ever. Even if the numbers don't say so, he totally is. And just when we thought, like, okay, what he did in 04 was just not even human. I don't know how he did it basically taking two games by himself um, to come back against the Yankees. But then to have subsequent postseasons where he put up even better numbers. I mean, what he did in 2013 was not, I mean, not possible for anybody else. What he did was crazy. He had like an OPS of about 1,500 or something like that in the World Series. Yeah, it was just absolutely insane. And I remember watching that series and just... Whenever he was up at the plate, I'm like, why are you guys pitching to him? Stop it. <laughs> it's, yeah. what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it makes but, no sense. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, so uh, his total line for the entire postseason in 2013 was 353, 500, 706 with five dingers. <laughs> and, and in the other World Series run in 2007, it was 370, 508, 696 with three ding-dongs and then in 04 it was 400 515 764 with five home runs gosh he's just oh my gosh he's just so clutch oh he's so good yeah it's incredible it's stupid it's so good it's (laughs) yeah oh man he had a 214 wrc plus in the playoffs in 2013 good lord 222 in 2004 and 203 in 2007. He averaged a 200-plus WRC-plus <laughs> in the playoffs in those three years. Wow. That's that's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I have to ask you. 07 Ortiz, best year from an OBP standpoint, best year from a WRC-plus standpoint, not close to his best year counting stat wise. Why did you go with that over 0506? Um I honestly I do not know. That was um let's see. Yeah, and I didn't even pick an 05 or 06 uh player. Uh, that was a uh mistake on my part. <laughs> yeah, no, I just wasn't sure if it was like the playoff thing that made you really think about 07 because like we were talking about, 
there are certain years that resonate because of David Ortiz meaning so much those years. And, um, you know, obviously the playoffs are a big part of that. But 06 was also an important year because it was the year that David Ortiz broke the franchise record for home runs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should have went with that uh, that year. Yeah, it's, you, you can't pick wrong, though. That's the thing with Ortiz. <laughs> this is true. Okay. So those are our hitters. Um, we had uh, really, really close categories there. We will get to that later. Um, let's go to the pitching side. And this is where things got super weird for me. Um, and I know that they got a little weird for you. Um, pitchers of this era did not strike guys out. And, and this is something that a lot of people know. Um, I did my pitchers after I did my hitters. And I was fully willing, like, oh, if I see a, a standout year, I'll go back and I'll change something um, to get the right pitcher in. But I didn't see almost any standout years, and it was really hard for me to fill out my five-man rotation. Um, how was the process for you? Um, to be honest, it was it was the same. Um, I had um, one year that I just penciled in automatically um, and then just kind of filled in. Um, but after like the third pitcher of mine, um, I had a really, really hard time picking um, like a really good season. I mean, I found good seasons, but not like an awesome season. So it just kind of makes me think that uh, Red Sox, um, we know how to hit, but we maybe not know how to pitch. Yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment, I yeah. would say. Um, I knew that there were two players who I wanted to include um, in my list. So I'll start off with my ace for my staff. I went with Louis Tiant, El Tiante, uh, from 1974. Uh, he was going to be my ace. This year he pitched 311 innings. Um, he had uh, 22 wins, just 176 strikeouts because it wasn't a huge part of his game. Um, but he did have a 292 ERA with a 1.17 whip um el tiante in the 70s for the Sox, pretty damn good player um i think i went with 74 basically because it kind of fit what i was going for fit fit uh the other guys that i had around it because i had a lot of guys in the 70s but also i mean uh el tiante that year was that was his best war year with the Red Sox, so it kind of worked out that way. Yeah, and and going back and looking at pitchers um, back in like the sixties, seventies, and just seeing like the innings totals, it's you, it's kind of it's really hard to comprehend um, because like like you said in seventy four, Tiant had three hundred and eleven innings, and that is I just can't even it boggles my mind how a starting pitcher can go that long or, or just like even pitch that many innings. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I, especially with the prevalency of injuries these days in, you know, we're going to talk about Chris sale later on in the show. It's just unthinkable for guys to do what they do now with the velocities that they use. And you know, a really interesting part about this whole thing is, I've been reading a lot more about historical baseball players. I'm a history teacher, as a lot of people know, but it's kind of like a passion of mine to go back and read about these guys. And um, at The Athletic, uh, Joe Posnanski, I think is how you pronounce his name, has been doing this Top 100 uh, series um, 
of all like the top 100 baseball players of all time. And one of the things that I noticed while reading about Washington Senators great Walter Johnson was that it wasn't uncommon for pitchers back then not to throw even close to as fast as they could possibly throw every pitch. And it seems like these days um, pitchers in the major leagues basically go almost full tilt. I mean, not quite full tilt, but like pretty much close to that uh, most of the time. And that wasn't uh, something that these guys did. And I wonder if that has a tremendous effect on kind of their durability. Um, yeah, um, that is, um, I, I, I really do think so. It's kind of like a thing, like, like when I play like uh, fantasy baseball, um, I kind of steer away um, for maybe some of like the high velocity guys, like uh, someone who comes to mind, like uh, Tyler Glass now. He scares mm. me. Just extreme, extreme velocity. Because there's really, honestly, there is no way that you can stay healthy for a very long time just pitching that hard. Um, because, I mean, if you watch him, he is just, you know, 95, 100% every single pitch. And that's just really hard just to compete at that level. So I do think that there's something to that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and just to let people know as well, for, for this era of pitchers that we covered, this 80-year period, the top 10 war seasons, according to uh, Fangraphs, which famously does pitcher war by FIP, uh, were all Pedro, Clemens, or Sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, uh, that's probably a little preview of what you had. But who was your ace here, Shelley? Um, my ace was um, 99 Pedro. Like, this was just the first season that I put on my little lineup here. Um, this was the uh, this was this was the year. Um, I, I personally think that this was the Pedro year. Some people might say 2000. I say 99. Um, but in 99, he pitched 213 and one-third innings. He had a 2.07 ERA, a .93 whip, 23 wins, 313 um, strikeouts. Um, I, 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 like I said, some people say the uh, 2000 Pedro was the, the best season, um, but for me, it was uh, 99. Um, this is when I became a Red Sox fan because one Saturday I just happened to turn on a, you know, this weekend in baseball and then it went into a game and it was Pedro. Um, and that is when I become a, became a Red Sox fan. So 99 Pedro has, um, uh, it means a lot to me. So it was, it's always 99 Pedro. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's the best season uh, in pitcher history. In fact, 99 Pedro. Um, he beat his 2000 season in Ks. Um, he was uh, slightly worse in walks per nine. Uh, he gave up way fewer home runs. The thing that really stands out to me is in 2000, Pedro had a point two, uh, .36 BABIP with an 86.6 left on base percentage. In 99, he had a... 323 BABIP and a 77.6 left on base percentage. So he was far, far less lucky in 1999. And his FIP in 1999 
was 1.39 for the entire season. It's incredible. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy town. Um, yeah, Pedro, Pedro 99, the GOAT. Yeah, definitely. Okay, who was your second pitcher that you chose? Um, my, my, my second pitcher, um, it, I, you know how I was saying before that I kind of like went with guys who I just thought were Red Sox, uh, uh, Red Sox players? Yeah. Um, this one, um, I, I kind of didn't go that route um, because when I think of Roger Clemens, I do not think of, you know, Boston version of Roger Clemens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I had to include him because, oh my gosh, he was so good. <laughs> I mean, I just, I could not. So I went with the 1990 season, um, from Roger Clemens. Um, he went 228 innings, 228 and a third innings, um, with a 193 ERA of 1.08 whip, um, 209 strikeouts and 21, 21 wins. Um, I mean, he was just really good. I just, it's just kind of weird to see him with the Red Sox. I just, I just always think of him either, I just think of him as either a Yankee or an Astro. So. Yeah, or Blue Jay even. Yeah. For 96 or 97, 98. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, he got absolutely screwed in the Cy Young race in 1990. He ended up winning it in 1991, but in 1990 he lost to a guy by the name of Bob Welsh who had 27 wins for the Oakland Athletics um, and who was a career 3.47 ERA pitcher. Wow. Um, So good, but like, you know, Bob Welsh really didn't have even a third of the career that, that Clements did. Yeah, wow. And if he had won that, that would have been... His fourth Cy Young um, between 86 and 91. So, I mean, he still won plenty of size. Not feeling bad for the guy. Because uh, <laughs> I think, does he have the record for most Cy Youngs? Um, I think he does. Probably. I mean, it would make, uh, I would put my money on that one. Yeah, let me uh, just check this real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, he has six Cy Youngs. Jeez. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, go ahead and say that that's the record. Yeah. Let's, we'll call it the record, even if it's not. <laughs> um, okay. Great choice there with the Rocket. Um, when I was in Little League, we had to write our favorite player on the back of our... You remember when they would make the little baseball cards of you? Yeah. Yeah. Mine was always... Uh, for the first part of the 90s, it was Roger Clemens. And for the second part of the 90s, it was Pedro. Nice. Uh, so I was a pitcher fan. Um, so the second guy that I knew I wanted to go with was a Jim Lomborg from the Dream Season, the Impossible Dream, 1967. Um, this year, Jim Lomborg did win the Cy Young Award. He had 273 innings pitched. Um, he had 22 wins, struck out 246, uh, had a 3.16 ERA and a 1.14 whip. Um, this was... Basically, peak Jim Lomborg. This was the best that we would ever see from him. Um, And one of the better Red Sox pitching seasons of all time. It's close to a top 20 pitching season there. Uh, And Lomborg was a young man when he was doing this. I think he was like 23, if I remember correctly. I'm going to check that. Um, 
what year was it? Uh, so he was 20, 25 uh, during this year. So ended up being the best year of his career because famously he got hurt in a skiing accident. Yeah. Um, he actually struck out um, quite a few pitchers. Uh, pitchers. Struck out a, quite a few batters uh, for that uh, time period as well. He had an 8.1K uh, 8. per nine. That's pretty pretty legit for 1967 totally yeah i was shocked at that when i when i saw that uh he was he was able to strike out that many guys because like you said i mean no one was no one was doing that back then yeah okay my sp3 this is where things got real real weird um so like i said no one strikes anybody out at this point and so i went with a guy by the name of tex hewson in 1942, so the early Ted Williams years, uh, Tex at this time had 22 wins. Just uh, he had four saves as well that, that year, even though saves wasn't a stat. He had a 2.59 ERA, 1.19 WHIP, and he only struck out 113 batters over the entire <laughs> season. It was a weird season, um, but yeah, that's what I went with. Yeah, what'd you go with? Wow, um, that's a really interesting. Seeing a K per nine that low from a starter is um, interesting. <laughs> um, so for my uh, third starter, I went with Chris Sale, uh, the 2017 version of Chris Sale, um, where he pitched 214 um, and a third innings, um, had a 2.9 ERA, a .97 WHIP, um, 308 strikeouts, and 17 wins. Um, yeah, um, I have, um, Chris Sale is just amazing. I, I mean, I enjoyed him when he was in Chicago. Uh, I loved kind of watching his starts every now and again. Um, and then with that trade, um, I was very, very, I was, I, I remember when I saw the trade come over um, through my Twitter timeline, I was sitting in the lunchroom at lunch and I just like look up because I just really wanted to, to tell someone and everyone was like, I could just look around and no one was, uh, <laughs> no one was baseball fans. So I had to like run out of the, the, the break room and just start like tweeting my husband and being like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, Chris Sale in 2017, um, he was, oh, he was so good. I mean, he's been good ever since um, he's come over to Boston. Um, maybe not as durable as we would like, but he has just been a dude. And But that was like the epic Chris Sale season. Yeah, it really was. And the crazy thing about 2017 was like he carried that into 2018 um, and was even better than he was in 2017 yeah. until he got injured um, in 2018. It's crazy – when we think about how good Chris Sale was with the White Sox, he had his two statistical best seasons with the Red Sox in 2017-2018 before shit hit the fan for him. Um, I really hope Chris Sale gets back. And I guess we could take a little break from what we're doing to talk about what's going on with Chris Sale. Um, Chris Sale did undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, Dr. Neil Elitrash uh, performed the surgery and the surgery date for him was the 30th. So we're expecting Chris Sale back mid-year 2021. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. I mean, we kind of, I mean, we kind of all knew that this was probably going to happen um, just with everything that we had been hearing coming from, what, halfway through last season, halfway-ish, August, September. Um, It was kind of, it just, everything was just kind of looking and sounding like this was probably going to be the inevitable thing. But I totally understand not wanting to go under surgery because surgery is quite scary. Yeah, and he's 31 too, so it's not like he's a young man. It, it, exactly. Um, so, I mean, this is just going to, yeah. I just I just really hope that he comes back and is just really good. It just, it just really stinks that this happened. Let me ask you this. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the contract extension that Dave Dombrowski signed Chris Sale to. I know that this is controversial. Um, Brian Joyner wrote about it on Over the Monster uh, this past week, too. But coming off of 2018, where he finished the second half of the year with arm trouble, I was like, thank Chris Sale for his service. Let him walk. That's really what I thought, because... I knew Chris Sale was going to demand a lot of money, and we still had him under control for the following year, after 2018, 2019. So I thought, great, you make this trade, you get three unbelievable years in a World Series and possibly another one because that was before we knew 2019 was going to be trash. Um, That's kind of what my thinking was with him, and I thought the extension was really bad. So I wanted to know, were you pro the extension or were you kind of cautious like I was? Um, I was extremely cautious. Like, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, oh, no. No, 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 no. This is going to go bad. Um, because, I mean, I under I understand, you know, giving Chris Sale uh, the contract for kind of what he did for the Red Sox. And then also, we didn't really have, like, a le- quote-unquote, a legit number one starter. So I, I get that, but... No, I, I I was I was not a fan of the Chris Dale extension, and I knew it was going to go bad. Maybe yeah. not this soon, but I knew it was going to go bad. Yeah, me too. Um, man, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um. All right, Shelley. So who's your SP four? Yeah, after the 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 first three uh, pitchers, um, it kind of. Um, became a little bit more difficult to like really pick like an outstanding season like the the Martinez Clemens sale years um but I went with I went with John Lester's 2010 season I mean I just felt like I needed to get Lester in there because he was just he was just like one of those glue guys um but yeah so in 2010 um he pitched 208 innings um with 225 strikeouts a 325 ERA, a 1.2 whip, 19 wins. Um, he was just um, just a – John Lester was just a good good pitcher. Not uh, – I hate to say not great pitcher because I just have fond memories of John Lester. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, what do you think? Uh, I love your Lester pick here. Um, what year What year was it again? Um, 2010. 2010? Yeah, 2010. Um, yeah, looking at his page, I probably would have gone with the 2010 season, too. Um, I believe, wasn't that the year that he set the Red Sox record um, for most strikeouts as a left-handed pitcher? 
I believe he set the club record that year. Um, it was either that or well, oh nine he did. He also had two hundred and twenty five. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so it could have been oh nine that he did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I agree. Um, I actually would have gone with the exact pitchers that you chose on your list, as, except I probably would have picked a different Clemens year. Sure. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I totally, totally love Lester. I don't think he's quite a Hall of Fame player. Um, I think he'll end up falling short of that mark um, because Lester, as much as... We think of him as, as a great pitcher, and he was also an excellent postseason pitcher, which kind of helps his argument, and he's been incredibly durable. He's a five-time All-Star, um, three-time World Series champ. I just think that he didn't have the peak. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't I don't think he's, like, Hall of Fame worthy, but he's, like, Hall of, like, really good. Like, he kind of yeah. falls in line of, like, another lefty, like Cole Hamels who um, who I'm really like debating like is he a Hall of Fame or not like he's just like really good um, but uh, yeah John Lester's just just set it and forget it essentially he's that kind of pitcher yeah I agree and I, I almost think I might prefer Lester's career to Cole Hamill's career so I'm gonna look up Hamill's real quick Hamels um, made one fewer All-Star team, um, was the World Series MVP and the NLCS MVP, though, so that kind of goes in his favor as well. Um, but only one World Series. Um, John Lester was the NLCS MVP, though, too. I, I think John Lester's best seasons were better than Cole Hamels' best seasons, slightly, to me. But I'm not positive. Yeah, I mean it's it's really close. Like I could I could honestly I could make the argument either way. Like it's it's just that close. Like they are just pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Man, who has better postseason numbers? I don't know. Postseason yeah. That 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 would be something that I would be curious to look up. Um by war, Hamels has definitely been the better player. Um, but neither of those guys just have that seven-year peak that I would be looking for from a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, my third player uh, that I chose was a guy by the name of Dave Ferris, who in 1946, another 40s pitcher for me, um, had a 25-win season. He only struck out 106 over this time, had a 3.25 ERA, 1.26 whip, um, did throw 274 innings. He had a good year, but man, like these were really uninspiring pitching seasons. <laughs> pitching was just not super great back then. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of like looking over like the Fangraphs, um, you know, uh, 1940 to 1979, and um, yeah, yeah, I don't envy you trying to pick out pitchers during this time. <laughs> No, it stunk. It really stunk. And it's like almost, um, I'm really happy almost that they didn't have the Cy Young Award until 1956 because like no one deserved it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, the, you know, the most impressive things from this era to me are just the volume stats. And when you look at it from that perspective, Dave Ferris, I mean, you have to pitch well um, to allow just 99 earned runs in 274 innings and have 25 wins and, and things like that. But um, at the same time, like, come on, man. <laughs> Strike some dudes out. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's like looking at like old pitching staffs like this. It's like I really wish that you could just like pull up like an old game and have like the view that we currently have, so we could just watch a game, like because it's a totally different game. Yeah, it really is. And this guy Dave Ferris too, um, kind of had a weird career where he had two really good years with the Red Sox. Um, and then it seems like he must have broken because 1945-1946, uh, he had huge innings years. 1947, he had a much worse year, and then he pretty much didn't pitch ever again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he has total career war 11.8 in about nine, a little over nine war of that. Or, no, about nine war came from just those two seasons. Wow. Yeah. All right. So my last and final SP five, and thank God this was—I only had to do five of these—was <laughs> Frank Sullivan uh, in 1957. He had 240 innings pitched, um, 127 strikeouts, in a 2.73 ERA and a 106 WHIP. Um, he only had 14 wins in that season, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, just this pitching during this time is uh, not good, not that great. <laughs> no. <laughs> What'd you go with? Um, I went with uh, I went with Rick Porcello's 2016 season. Maybe this is just you know just because I knew I was going to be talking with you or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I went with uh, pretty Ricky's 2000. Uh, 16th season with uh he went two, <laughs> 223 innings um uh 223 innings he had a 315 era of 1.01 whip 189 strikeouts and 22 wins and i do believe that this was his cy young season right it was yep 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 um yeah it was just just one of those just really good uh Really good seasons. I mean, I, I, pretty Ricky's last year with with the Red Sox was just like extremely painful because I mean, I, I, I appreciated him for what he was, which yeah. was just just a good pitcher, just not like a super great pitcher, and it was just like really painful to watch him um, last year just give up all of those all of those home runs. It was just really bad. So, yeah. But 2016 was was really good. I love Rick Porcello so much. So you definitely uh, definitely played to my heartstrings right there by by picking that Porcello season. Yeah. Um, man, you know he he just pitched the most like the optimal version of himself that year, which is what I appreciated so much about it. He didn't have the highest strikeout rate of his career, but he didn't walk anybody. He didn't allow many home runs. He just seemed to have elite control pretty much the entire season. Yeah, it was like 
because when he was with the Tigers, he didn't like really strike out anybody. Um, but then once he moved to the Red Sox, he started to strike out more people back in uh, 15. And then like 2016 was like the absolute peak of like peak Tigers and peak Red Sox of like strikeout and limiting the home runs kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you might be able to throw 2018 in there, but it was just like everything together in 2016. It just all worked. Yeah. Love that guy. I'm going to really miss him, even though I know most of the people listening to this podcast think that that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I will miss him as well. So, Excellent. Yeah. All right. Uh, why don't you close it out with your closer? And then I will give mine. Yeah. I, I, this one was... To me, it was it was easy. Um, maybe someone might uh, try to put in another closer or more recent closer, um, but I went with Koji in 2013. Um, he was just absolutely insane for what a good two, two, three years or so. Um, but I went with his 2013 season and 74 and a third innings. He had a 1.09 ERA, a .57 whip, 101 strikeouts, um, and 34 saves save plus holds, because we did saves plus holds. Um, but Koji, during that time, was just absolutely lights out. It's just, just when he came in, you knew that there, no runs was going to be scored. The, the game was we, already won. You could just... Essentially, you could turn off the TV, but you couldn't because you wanted to watch Koji Bitch. Um, he was just insane. Um, yeah, Koji is in. I don't know. I, I, I wonder how Koji is kind of handling this like social distancing thing because he can't do high fives with anybody. That's probably very hard on him, I have to say. Yeah. Um, Shelly, this was the best pick. Um, I'm so with you. Like, my life on the line, 2013, Koji is coming in to close out the game. That's that's the best relief season, in my opinion, in the history of the game. Like, I don't care what anybody else says. Give me 2013 Koji over anybody. Eric Gagne, I don't care. 2012 Kimbrell, I don't care. Give me Koji. That's, that's how I feel. The fact that he only had nine walks is insane. <laughs> <laughs> and his... His split finger fastball, like, basically that rivals Pedro's changeup as most unhittable pitches. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. Like, it was, it was just unbelievable. Like, I didn't I, until you mentioned it. I, I, I mean, I saw that the whip was like extremely low, but only nine walks. He gave up nine walks and he only gave up nine earned runs like that is just it's it's just you look at it and it's incredible it's so weird it's the best season um so yeah keaton is wrong about this because we've debated this on the podcast too um and keaton's says that kimbrell's best year with the red sox which i'm blanking on right now i think it might have been 2017 um which was a great year but like it's not koji dude yeah like i i i always was like super scared watching Kimbrel because sometimes like his walks would get the better of him. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it was just it just wasn't as lights out because as soon as you saw Koji come in, you're like, oh, game's over, we got this. 
yeah i yeah. i'm i'm on your side on this sorry Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's the biggest no-brainer of uh of this list so if i was doing your era uh, after i put down 99 pedro which i would have done as well i would have put down 2013 koji and then i would have filled in the rest of my list uh yeah yeah i i i definitely i didn't have the year because i couldn't exactly remember if it was 13 or uh 14 whether his good year but it was definitely pedro koji ortiz and yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah and just picking your vintage exactly um okay so for me, um, one of the few pitchers on my list, along with Tiant and Jim Longborg, who um, probably could make an argument to be on most, um, you know, top Red Sox of all times lists, uh, is closer Dick Raditz, who in 1964 uh, threw 157 innings pitched, um, had a 2.29 ERA, 103 whip, and 181 Ks to go along with 29 saves and 16 wins. Um, he was used towards the end of the game for multiple innings a lot. Um, therefore, he accumulated a lot of wins. And, you know, even though the save stat wasn't, you know, what it is now, um, you know, closed out a lot of games. Um, he's one of the better relievers in Red Sox history. And a guy that most people our age don't really know about. Uh, yeah, I had never heard of him. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that does uh, does it for our uh, lists. Um, so just to recap here, from the 40s, I used four guys. From the 50s, I used three. 60s, two. 70s, six guys. How about you? Um, I did not tabulate this. <laughs> <laughs> One. That's okay. Two. Uh, four from the 90s. One, two. Four, four, five from the 2010s, and then the rest from the uh, 2000s. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right. And for totals, um, for runs, I ended up with 102 runs, or 1,002 runs scored. How many did you end up with? Um, only 983. Okay. Yeah. Home runs, I had 310. What'd you have there? 277. Uh, RBIs? Um, I had 931. I had 1065. Boy. Stolen bases? I probably got you on this one. I got 122. Yeah, I had a measly 68. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about OBP? 402? I had 408, and this was almost solely on the back of the Ted Williams season yeah. because all my guys were I only had three other players above a 400 OBP wow yeah that was wild yeah um pitching wins what'd you have 106 I had 121 um saves plus holds 34 surprisingly I ended up with 36 wow. and it was because um Raditz plus Ferris and Houston, uh, those two guys had seven combined to go along with Raditz's 29. Gotcha. Um, that was a shock to me, though. Yeah. Kays, I had a measly 949. <laughs> um, I had 1345. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's significantly better. Um, ERA, I had 2.87. Uh, 255. Wow. 
pitching much better in your era. Definitely. <laughs> um, in whip, I had 1.15. Uh, 1.01. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Okay. Yeah, so head-to-head, I ended up winning this 6-4, to four, which, to be honest, I feel is very meaningless. Um, I would 100% take your team over my team over, like, a 162-game season any day of the week. Um, yeah, definitely, because, I mean, uh, the, the lineup is pretty comparable, but then the pitching is just heads above yours. Sorry. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, like, I like my catcher better. I think I like my first baseman better. Uh, second is basically a tie. Yeah. Third base, you're way better. Shortstop, I like yours better. Left field, mine's better. Yeah. Um, center field, that year, pretty much tied-ish. I would probably give a nod to Ellsbury uh, in that year. Yeah. Uh, right field, you're way the hell better. Yeah. And DH, honestly, I think almost a wash. I would probably go slight edge poppy. Yeah, I would probably go slightly poppy because of just everything else outside the field. Yeah. And then you're pitching, like, hands down every every position. So Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, no doubt. We can look back on old times as cool and these experiments are fun, but, yeah, baseball's gotten better. It totally has. <laughs> All right, so let's hit a couple listener questions before we get out of here. Um, Mikey Naj3 uh, says, how are you guys holding up? Shelly, what are you doing to stay sane during this craziness? <laughs> um, honestly, um, uh, not that much. Um, I've been like uh, watching like a lot of like TV and uh, uh, movies and such. Um, if if you do listen to the Dynasty Shroud podcast, I have been I I hurt myself doing a home workout. Um, <laughs> so sad. Um, but the last two days, I've actually been able to go for a walk. So sorry about that. That is my little. Is that young Soto? That that is that is my young little Frenchie Soto. He's very excited that I got out for a walk. <laughs> um, so yeah, things are looking better. Shelly is worth a follow just for Soto. Um, <laughs> even if you don't like baseball, she's worth a follow for Soto. Yeah. Soto on, <laughs> and or Silo. It's, it's, uh, it's quite a tandem. It is. Um, yeah, I'm holding up pretty good. I'm playing a lot of video games. I'm still teaching remotely, um, you know, doing all that fun stuff and, and watching a good amount of movies. So, yeah, it's fun. Um, CJ Roberts has our next question. He says, favorite meal to prepare? Um, I don't know, like, if I have a single favorite meal to prepare, but I've been making a lot of, um, big, like, one-pot things. So, I made, like, a huge corned beef and cabbage, and I made, like, a huge meal of, uh, spaghetti and meatballs, and I've been cooking, like, a lot of like baked chicken dishes and like things that you can kind of eat on all week. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that lately. That's nice. Yeah. I, I, I've been, uh, kind of slacking when it comes to actually like fixing meals. Um, but I don't know. I, can I cheat and just say my, my favorite meal to prepare is dessert? 
<laughs> yes. I think you're very qualified for that. So you should tell people about your uh, Insta. Uh, yeah. Um, definitely hit up my, my Instagram account. Um, I think it's just like just my name, Shelly Verstraight. Um, but just like search my uh, Twitter timeline. Um, before all of this craziness, I used to do um, like a big good uh, a weekend and just do like these crazy elaborate cakes. Um, and I finally got back into baking because I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, so I just did like this really quick, like dark chocolate cake with mint buttercream and put a thin mint cookie on top, Mm. uh, this weekend. Um, so, and I got some, some ingredients coming through Amazon. Um, so the baking will return. Um, but definitely my favorite meal to prepare is, uh, cakes, dessert. My, uh, younger brother is a freshman in high school and, uh, he is going to attempt to make me a birthday cake this week. Um, so we are going to see what that's going to come out like. But he is a, he's kind of a big baker, so I'm looking forward to to that. My birthday is on, uh, what day is it? On Thursday. Ooh. Thursday. So, yeah, we'll see, see what that cake looks oh, like. Oh, yeah. Um, Max has our last question. He says, what Red Sox player would benefit most from a short season, current or historical? I'm thinking Ellis Burks. Hmm. Um, I have a guy who came to mind right away, Um, and it is a guy we love. Okay. I have a guy that came to mind that I don't necessarily, that we do love. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, My guy is Chris Sale. Yeah. Because Chris Sale breaks. Um, He is currently broken. Um, but for most of Chris Sale's life, he has pitched like the best pitcher in baseball for the first like three-fourths of the season. So if the season were to be half as long in that third-fourth that he's really good uh, would be the postseason, we might be talking about one of the best pitchers of all time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I that, that that's a really good one. Um, I went um, with... A player that it could either go really good or really bad in a short season. Um, it's JBJ. Mm. Um, because is this his, is this his last year with the Sox? It is. Yeah. yeah. So if you could get like super hot JBJ, it, it could just be amazing, and then just be really good for him um, as well. Like going into just this like really murky kind of off season. Um, but then it also could be really bad because it could be bad Jackie Bowling Jr. and I don't I don't like to see that so uh, it could go either way for him. Yeah, I think my first year at OTM was the year that he had that really long hit streak, which lasted like I don't know over a month yeah. of him just you know crushing. Um, and yeah, you could imagine if that was like the part of this season that actually gets played and him going into free agency, some team might look at the, what he did offensively and look at his defense and be like, all right, let's cue this guy up for like a five, six year offer. Yeah. Yeah. But then it could also totally go the other way. It's just, yeah, it's, it's probably more likely that it goes the other way. And he bats like one seventy six for the yeah. two or three month stretch. Yeah. I just, I just, I just like, I, I just like JBJ. I mean, he's like from my area of Virginia. So like, I have like this soft spot of being like, Oh, he's kind of like from around here and he plays amazing defense, but yeah, he's extremely frustrating. Yeah. He's definitely uh, one of those guys that I will forever remember fondly, even if 
Um, you know, like we think he's going to do, he moves on at the end of this year. Um, you know, dude, dude's defense is the best we've ever seen in center field for the Red Sox. And I don't think that there's really any historical question about that. Yeah. I just, oh, watching him man center field is just so much fun. Absolutely. Well, that's been our show. It has been very long, so we will get you out of here. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show, and somehow we did come up with something to talk about, despite there being no baseball. <laughs> so we hope you did tune in. Um, please make sure you uh, check out Shelly's show when that comes out. That is going to be coming right to the same feed as this one, so you won't have to do anything extra. Just cue it up and listen. Um, and then make sure you follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Shelly at... Shelly, where are you? Oh, there you are. Shelly, V underscore 643. And you can follow me at at DevJake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Um, We appreciate the listen, and thank you very much.